to the Celtics Pride podcast. We post on Tuesday every week on the Celtics blog podcast feed, and you know our episodes because they say Celtics Pride in the beginning. I am Adam Motenko, part of your Celtics Pride team. That includes myself, my twin brother, Josh Motenko. How's it going, Josh? I'm good. That's right. Uh, My twin brother, he's nine minutes older, but I always last longer. Damn. And our good friend Mike Minkoff. Mike, I don't know how you can follow it. I got nothing after that, but hey, how's it going, guys? I'm <laughs> well, getting well played. To begin well with. played, Josh. <laughs> well played. We can keep that, right? We can keep that in? Oh, yeah. I think so. <laughs> Today on the podcast, we're going to touch on recent news. We're going to talk about the top five role players we would like to see on the Celtics. And we're going to start a new segment to end each podcast called Stories from Celtics History. To kick us off with recent news, uh, some things came out in the past week or so about the NBA and the coronavirus. Uh, Number one, the league announced that they are going to postpone indefinitely the draft lottery, which typically happens at the end of May, uh, and the combine. So that is not going to happen anytime soon. I would expect them to postpone the actual draft, which happens in late June, although they're not going to make an announcement yet about that. Um, And related to the draft, there's also been some uh, snippets out there that some players, especially ones who are on the fringe, players who would have played their way into the first round or tried to in the NCAA tournament or through pre-draft workouts, are starting to drop out of the 2020 draft. So this is now looking like a weaker draft, uh, which is not a good sign for teams like the Celtics who have a couple of late lottery, not late lottery, late first round picks in addition to their, uh, I think it's number 16 or 17, right outside of the lottery. 17. Um, 17. Thank you, Josh. So uh, let's get some initial reactions to this draft related news. Uh, Josh, thoughts on this first from you. We knew this was happening already. It was reported by Woj that it was going to be postponed. Now, obviously, it's official, and everyone's feeling the feelings that you feel when that happens, depression, you know, or just the prolonging of, of the inevitable. But this is how things go during COVID. We get you know some deadline, and then it gets postponed, and then it gets postponed again, and another one's created, and it gets postponed again. That's kind of the pattern, and we're seeing that basketball-wise, too. You know, I, we could get into our bet that we have going about uh, whether the season's even going to return or not. Adam is thinking the season will be back at some point, at least to play the playoffs and to to crown a champion. And uh, Mike and I are in the right uh, by thinking that there won't be a season anymore. Um, So I guess it's still up in the air, yeah? I think so. And and, um, I've been expecting this whole time that they would just go right to the playoffs. But uh, Bill Simmons had an interesting snippet on his podcast uh, where – the something about the contract that the teams have with I think it's their television providers is that if they play 70 games or more, then they don't have to give a certain amount of money back based on the contract. But if it's under 70 games, they need to give that money back. And every team has played like 63 to 68 games or something like that. So one of the scenarios that is in discussion in the league would have the teams play a handful of regular season games really kind of as a preseason-ish type of thing uh, and then jump into the playoffs partly to try and make as much money as they can to get to that 70-game threshold. 
That's interesting. I didn't know that. Um, and that actually connects to, a, to another piece of, of news. I'm going to bounce around here uh, because one of the things that was reported this past week by Adrian Wojnarowski, talks have been ongoing, obviously, to restart the 2020-2021 season. One of the, the things that was mentioned in this article by Woj, and um, I heard some additional conversation on this by, by Kevin O'Connor and Chris Vernon on the their ringer podcast in this match is looking at how many games could actually be played in what period of time under kind of a bubble scenario and the, the bubble scenario being all of the players and teams and, and essential personnel all kind of quarantining together in a selected location. Disney world's been out there as an option uh, Vegas has been talked about as an option. There are a couple others, I think, that have been considered. But what Woj said is, in a scenario where the NBA played eight games per day using two courts to host concurrent games akin to Summer League, the regular season could be p- completed in 33 days with almost no back-to-backs. A full four-round postseason with minimal days off would take a maximum of 55 days to complete. So, you know, that we're talking about 90 days in that imagining where they – play all 82 games and that that's like three additional months beyond whatever ramp up time there would need for players to get in shape. But if you're only looking at doing like five to 10 regular season games for each team, then you you could probably do complete the regular season and do a full playoffs and maybe only about two months you would need uh, to, to wrap that up, um, which is just something interest, interesting to think about. So two months to play all of the games. Two months potentially to play all of the games. If you're, and then how much ramp up time? Yeah. How much prep, prep time? I, I assume there would be at least a month. Personally, I mean, but not, but not, nothing that you read. Nothing I've read. No. I, yeah. Uh, but I, my guess is that it would be a one month, at least a one month ramp up time. Because I still think the prospect is really interesting. That it. What if it was like two weeks? Something really quick, and we're, we see who's in shape and who's not. I know you'd be worried about injuries, Mike, but you know this is unique circumstances. Yeah, I don't. Th- I, I just don't think the players. I mean, Chris Paul already came out and basically said it would have to be at least three to four weeks. Um, I think you need some quarantine time in there, also, some time to get everybody together to spend to be testing people, things like that. So the whole thing can be done in three months. You could be ramping up um, activity in that time, and that could be part of a, the four-week timetable for. Uh, getting in shape. But yeah, so, it sounds like three months full timetable. So the testing thing is another thing that I wanted to talk about. Uh, and there's, yeah. there's two pieces of this. So um, another, another thing that came, that was part of uh, Woj's report is again, re- reading from his article, there needs to be a fast, simple and reliable test. There also must be enough available public testing to avoid backlash toward the NBA for acquiring and using kits. The league expects it would need approximately 15,000 tests. And, and then further, teams were sent a memo uh, Thursday night of last week advising not to arrange coronavirus tests for asymptomatic players and staff. Okay, so that's piece one here, is that the league would need 15,000 tests at a time when they're not readily available to the public, and there's frankly no reasonable forecast that they're going to be widely available to everyone in the public that needs them. So that's piece one. Piece two is uh, Baxter Holmes reported this past week there are teams expressing concern about older key personnel in the league, uh, par- uh, particularly a couple of older coaches, Greg Popovich, who's 71, and 
Mike D'Antoni, who I think is 68, uh, but it also yeah. would apply to general managers, some assistant coaches. Um, it, could, it could even apply to medical staff. Uh, you know, so you're, you're trying to manage the situation. And then actually a third piece, and I forget where this was reported, but um, the league, the players have already uh, nixed the idea that it would only be players quarantining in this bubble solution. They would have their families and that could include parents. I, I would imagine for some, for some players. So you're potentially putting together what um, Kevin O'Connor was saying. It would be about 1500 people. Uh, and I'm not sure where he was citing that number from or, or if it was his own research, but you'd be putting together like 1500 people in this bubble in a situation where you couldn't get tests to test everybody that on a daily basis, and there may be asymptomatic carriers and there may be highly at risk people in this situation. So despite the time variable where under this closed, you know, two court a day setting and they're doing eight uh, games a day, whatever it is, they could complete everything in three months. I still really struggle to see how this is going to get a green light. The players have said they would not quarantine themselves away from their families. Correct. That's interesting. I saw some other, um, not reports, but uh, possibilities of what this might look like and, and looking at the numbers of how many people they would be quarantining and trying to limit that as much as possible. And it's still being a, a pretty good number of, of people for each team. It was working through media. I, it was basically saying they wouldn't even have the play-by-play, the, the television commentators in person at the game, they would be commentating via a, a video feed. Um, right. So I th- they're looking at different permutations. Um, I get where the players are coming from with that, but that just—I mean—that that could double the number of people if they're if you have whole families, which just makes it that much harder to make sure that everybody is safe. Yeah, I mean the way the way I heard it, it's a non-starter in effect. It's it's not it's not even an option that that will be pursued to isolate the players for three months entirely away from their families. Wow. So I don't I don't I don't think you can even talk about it as like a consideration. To, that at least that's how I understood what I heard. Yeah, there's there's as much as LeBron James has been tweeting about how he's ready to go, and as much as the details of why you need to play a few regular season games so the money can exchange hands to get to that 70 percent quota like that's a good detail to have to know what's going on and why things are happening the way they are but as much as like those people care about controlling those things like they you know lebron james has no impact on whether they start playing or not you know this is it's either going to go one of two ways either they're going to not rejoin the season because it's not safe or they're going to rejoin the season at some point and try whatever controlled experiment they're trying to control and then it's either going to go well or it's not and when it doesn't then it shuts down and then there's other bigger issues so you know we're trying to control this thing and it's not really something that we can control at least at this current stage of it i think that's my biggest evidence for why we're not having a season well, I mean, it is interesting to see some of the ways that public perception can be controlled. I really appreciate Adam Silver's stewardship throughout this whole process and really caring about safety and prioritizing that. The piece about not testing 
players. The, the NBA could easily test all of its players every single day, which is one of the things that I read that a, a medical expert said that, that that would be important. But they don't want to because it would be uh, the optics of it would not look good when the rest of the country does not have access to that. So President Trump, you want you're tired of watching old baseball games. How about you help get uh, increased testing accessibility to everybody else? And that is a move that Adam Silver and the league is making, partly because they don't want the backlash of negative PR related to how that would look. But also there is some attempt at trying to shift how the public and the government uh, acts towards this pandemic that affects all of us. Uh, and I appreciate that. I think when LeBron James comes out and tweets, everybody I know wants to restart this season because there's been other reports that some owners are asking for it to simply just be canceled now. There's a, an article on Celtics blog to that effect. Um, I think that does have an effect, Josh. And I think it does help to shift the narrative. And, and um, while we all want to be safe, I think a, a lot of people really want to have some, a, some distraction, which we talked about, which this would provide. If you're, if you're one of those people that wants to strat, I mean, or I don't know, Adam, where you would, would rate yourself in this conversation, but would you be okay with the league setting up a system where they were testing everybody daily when hell, when tests aren't available for the broader public, like no, you no, as I, an individual? I totally support what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean... I don't know, you know, I still have no idea how this is all going to play out. I just, I, to me, that, that combination of there being no near-term sign that tests are going to be available at the, at the volume and kind of breadth needed to, to enable some of the other public health uh, response measures that are required to kind of, quote-unquote, return to normal, uh, such as contact tracing and, and related um related monitoring. I just don't, I don't see how you can kind of aggregate this group of people, not test asymptomatic individuals um, and allow this to kind of move forward in a way that's going to be safe. Ultimately, I, I understand all of the motivations that are uh, incentivizing the owners and the players and everybody else involved in the league to try to find a solution. Um, but I, I still struggle to see it kind of coming to fruition here. Well, as much as this is a good potential distraction for us and a healthy thing for us to have the NBA um, for those kinds of emotional, psychological reasons for the, the community, um, is it too naive or simplified to make the following comments? Like this really comes down to we're either going to choose it's about the money or it's about the safety. If it's really about the safety, we don't need to have a league right now. But the incentive to have it is it's about the money. It's always a balance. You're always you're it's always an equation of the value of, of each and you're making decisions based on that. And that's that's how you have to make these decisions. And that's how people do when they're when they are faced with decisions that that are important like that. I mean, you know, the military puts a monetary amount on people's lives, on, on soldiers lives. It just it's it happens. And it's it's part of the way that we we work. In addition so, to, go ahead. Oh, well, just so we wait and see which way Adam Silver ends up leaning. Yeah, a decision does not need to be made at this point. Right. But that, I mean, that, and even in, in a crude sort of way, 
the the consideration and um, conscientiousness, so to speak, about uh, or on the NBA's part, avoiding you know the procurement of the amount of tests that they theoretically would need this fifteen thousand or whatever it is um, is really being done with a brand consciousness in mind, right? And and that's that there's a bottom line element there as well. The the NBA has done a, a pretty fantastic job of kind of crafting a brand that that's really kind of progressive and socially minded and they don't want to undermine that. In addition to these conversations about what the 2019-2020 season and the playoffs are going to look like, the Adrian Wojnarowski is also um, has says that reporting that there have been talks about when the 2020-2021 season is going to start and that currently those discussions have it starting in December. So this means a shortened 2020-21 season. Uh, this, in some ways, I'm viewing this. If if this ends up coming to fruition, I'm seeing this no. as, huh? No, not wrong? not shortened. Yeah, shifted. How would the, how shifted? Oh, so, so it would so end later they, too. It would end in like August or or yeah. So yeah. the the league has and and executives within the league, I think, have been batting this around for a little bit. Um, the idea of shifting the start time date of the season to December, uh, shortly before Christmas. Christmas, of course, being like a premier NBA uh, day on the calendar. Um, and bas- basically trying to compete less with the NFL schedule and chew more into the uh, the MLB, the, the baseball schedule. The NBA, as I understood it, and this was from something I read a, a few few weeks back i can't remember what it, <laughs> who it was or, or what it was um but in effect the believe is that you know one of the one of the challenges the league faces is having some of its premier teams on the west coast that are hard to watch uh for a younger audience um during the middle of a school year shifting more of the games in the postseason into the summer would allow uh, viewers to stay up later and watch more of those games so that's PR speak. I'm that's just saying, PR I'm just, well, so, but here's, I mean, they're obviously, the reason, they're, the they're obviously interested. They're obviously interested in shifting it. So it's not just it PR. Sound, it sounds like it's a test case too, Josh. This is, well, sure. It's a, it's a great, you know, this is a great time to test random things. Um, and the NBA, as they proved in the all-star game is not opposed to trying crazy strategies to improve fan involvement and stuff like that especially for younger kids, that'd be great. But that's PR speak. There's a reason why you would want to start in December based on the COVID. The CDC, you know, predicts a second wave of this, uh, potentially during next year's flu season. When is flu season? During the winter. When did that start? You know, November. So if you can see whether how bad the flu season is going to be in November and then still be able to postpone the start of the NBA season, um, you know, that's that's what the science supports, at least through CDC recommendations. So I think that's the real reason why well, you would oh, no, no, no. No, start the, in December. The the real reason is what you're saying, plus the the hopes that they can still complete the current season, which is going to run longer than it sure. otherwise would have. So I'm I'm not saying that the stuff I was saying before is why they had already been considering this. To Adam's point, this is a perfect time to kind of experiment with it. And it's that's a perfect time for the reasons you say it there's a, they're trying to 
salvage this season still they haven't given up on that and if you know as as we discussed before and i i want to correct myself the reporting i was citing earlier was actually tim bontemps and brian windhorse the the woge report is is this one we're talking about now on the the 2020 2021 season starting in december um but what what this december start would potentially enable that kind of three-year run of of game three year three month run of of games to complete the regular season and the playoffs for the 20 1920 season crown a champion have an off season and then return to normal all while allowing as you said josh kind of the league to to have some eyes on a possible second wave starting up in late fall early winter and it sounds like still have a shortened off season for after the 2020 21 season before either going back to the normal schedule or deciding that this test case actually means that they should shift the schedule slightly in different ways. Adam, see, let me know if you can finish this old adage. They used to say, don't put off for tomorrow. What you can postpone until the day after. Don't put off for tomorrow what you can postpone for the day after. I think that's a Mad Magazine adage, Josh. Just to, We like to give references on this podcast. Um, so other news, the final, final bits of news that we wanted to discuss is some things around the, the NCAA and the G league. Uh, there's, we reported last week about, discussed how, um, players are, are joining the top, top, uh, high school players are joining the G league. Um, the NCAA made an announcement about things that they are considering. It sounds like they've hired a, a, or they have a committee that has been considering different, options for them and that made some recommendations which included a a shift to for the the student athlete designation it allows uh, college athletes to make money to receive compensation for third-party endorsements and opportunities such as social media businesses and personal appearances this is a major shift to the legality of the the term student athlete um, which do you guys know that the, the term student athlete was created by the guy that, that started the NCAA uh, in response to, I, I want to say a football player passed away in the fifties, the 1950s, and his wife um, filed for benefits um, a- asking for, the, for, for um, uh, I can't remember the specific type, but basically benefits to support her family after her husband died from that university. And in that lawsuit, they said, no, these are, that's where the, the student athlete designation came, came up, up. They said, these are not professionals. And they were able to win that lawsuit. And when that, the guy that started the NCAA who created student athlete retired, he made a speech where he basically said, this is completely outdated and we should do away with student athlete. And that was a long time ago. That's, that was decades ago now. So Finally, we are starting to see a shift in the, on the NCAA's side to this. What that means for um, players' decisions to go to college with the possibility that they could actually make some money, uh, what that means in terms of competition from uh, the G League to college. Uh, I'm trying to remember the, the player's name. Uh, I want to say it's David West has, is starting a league that is intended to compete directly with the NCAA. I don't know if you guys heard about this. Or not. I, I have not. I Did you guys hear? So uh, right after the NCAA came out with that news, the G League uh, 
announced that they were increasing the daily per diems given to players by $15 a day. And they're requiring now that teams um, get players their own hotel rooms when they're traveling on the road uh, to, to this point, players shared rooms. Um, so, yeah, which is so, not huge, but, well, but, it, but it's not, it's not nothing. And it, and it, right. I think it's, it's indicative of this kind of uh, quote unquote arms race to incentivize, you know, elite high school prospects that aren't in the top tier that are going to be eligible to be direct uh, drafted directly into the NBA when the one and done provision is removed, which seems inevitable to happen in the next, what, one to three years based on, on conversation over the past few years. Um, so and Mike, just to add one, just to add one other thing that the, this committee is also recommending that the NCAA basically rebrand to adopt a new name, a new image, new likeness. It sounds like uh, they've done some focus groups and people don't like the NCAA. It's not just me. <laughs> yeah. Um, Josh, having, having worked in uh, at, at the, the D1 level as, as in, in coaching, um, very interested to hear your take here on on these these the adoption of these new rules uh, by the NCAA the the kind of growing arms race uh, and competition to the N- NCAA for for elite high school prospects not el- not likely to make it directly to the NBA. And Josh, just to add to that, I, I I hope to hear the term "bag of money" as many times as you mentioned it last week <laughs> as well. Um, it's well to to start it's common at least at the junior college level for players to share not only a hotel room, but a hotel room bed. We would put three to four players in a room with two beds, uh, big beds, you know, and um, even at the D one level that, that wasn't uncommon for you to have to share a bed with somebody. Um, So, you know, this is all about control, you know, and, and the NCAA is finally releasing their grip because they have to, um, and this should have happened 30 years ago, you know, for, to allow players to use their name, their image and their likeness, um, to be able to make money off of it. That's why the whole fab five thing happened. And, and, uh, um, you know, this has been an issue for a long, long, long time. And as we know, the NCAA is always trying to corner the market on, on who's the puppeteer and, you know, they put themselves in that position over a hundred years ago and, and they've been holding it down, and it's time for that to break down. Um, so it's it's just the NBA stepping up and saying, you know, fifteen dollars a day more in per diem. It's a small thing, but they're on a large scale making an impact in in creating a better atmosphere for players to go to if they're going to have to do a one and done year um, and wait till they're nineteen. So instead of tackling the law you know related to whether they have the one and done or not um and and really going to court with the ncaa which is why they've the nba and the ncaa have worked together the way they have um for so long it's it's uh it's the ncaa now you know from a business perspective having to change because of moves the nba and uh, through the g league are are doing well well, it's not I think that's a little bit um, that's giving the NBA a little bit too much credit. A, a big driver, I believe, here has been the laws passed at the state level in California and Pennsylvania, maybe a couple other states um, that have basically required 
that that players have these additional rights in some form. I don't remember the exact um, the exact aspects of the law. I'd, I'd have to look back at that. But but in effect, NCAA was going to be forced to unravel um, as a function of some of these state laws that have been developing um, or forced to change. And so the the NBA and the G League is is an additional um, lever of pressure being placed on the the NBA, but not not or the NCAA, but not the only one. Um, I am interested. I think it will be fascinating to see because there are some you know whether you're talking about college basketball or college football, there are some extraordinarily obsessed fan bases. Not and not just some. There's like there's many. Um, you look at the SEC with college football. You look at uh, the Big Ten with college basketball and college football. There are going to be players that are going to be able to sign really lucrative shoe deals or or other merchandising deals as eighteen year olds, nineteen year olds, still on college campuses. Um, I wonder if there's a chance that it could actually lengthen the amount of time high level prospects stay in college. That's interesting. I mean, they they will. This has always been a labor law issue to me. And somehow the NCAA has found a loophole in it. I, I'm, I'm recalling the, the whole reason I brought up that the the founder of the NCAA and the comments he made is that is the most intriguing part to me was that in this speech I was referring to earlier, he actually used the term plantation. It was either plantation system or mindset, or it was like basically he was saying we've created a new plantation system here with the, this student athlete rule. So this old white dude is calling back to slavery and, and referencing uh, Jim Crow plantation uh, systems uh, and, and the inequities and race. Just fascinating uh, that that's happening. And I think you, you can't, honestly, you cannot talk about how the NCAA has skirted these uh, labor laws in the United States without talking about the context of race um, so within that context, it's really interesting to see what's happening here. Yeah, I didn't want to go there, I, um, but yeah, I but, mean, but and I'm not trying to get too is. deep into it. But but so I think what this what you're saying, Mike, is that's that basically uh, these young people are going to be able to make choices that make the most sense for them. So you could be a player like Zion, who's getting uh, millions of of social media hits on his dunks when he's a junior because he's a dunking phenom but people are still unsure of his NBA potential and he can make a ton of money. He can decide, do I want to spend time in college? Do I want to go to the G league and make more money? Do I want to go overseas? Uh, what uh, the options are open to him. And that's, that's the big difference. It, it provides additional freedom for these people, these Absolutely. adults, because they're 18 years old to make decisions for, for themselves that make the most sense for them and their families without risking, um, all kinds of backlash and ineligibility, not being able to play basketball. I mean, this goes all the way back to Spencer Hayward and, and previously. Um, so th- this is this is a huge, huge, huge deal. Connie Hawkins, like this is a huge, huge deal. Okay, have we talked enough about about uh, news, or is there anything else you want to say about this? I'm newsed out. Let's get onto the let's get onto the good stuff. I can talk. I could keep going, but let's get into Celtics stock. Okay. So let's move on to our next segment, which is the top five role players we would like to see on the Celtics. And Mike, I want to turn it to you with this top five role players we'd like to see on the Celtics. I understand that you have grounded this in in a fantasy world that you'd like to explain to us. 
Can you can you give us some rules here? I will I will give us about? some some short, simple rules for anyone that listened to our episode last week. You you heard that this might not be Adam's favorite premise, but we we had a socially distanced arm wrestle over it uh, in the, the intervening week, and we've come to a peaceable resolution, and we're going to move forward here. So here are the rules. As Adam said, it's the top five role players you'd like to see on the Celtics. Rule number one, the salary cap does not apply for this exercise. Um, some of the people playing may apply it, but that's by their own choice. That is not a requirement here. So we're not concerned about salaries. Rule number two, this is a role player. So they cannot have been in an all-star game in the last five years. Um, number three, these are not up and coming prospects or, or people that we think if we grab them early, they can develop into studs. These are, these are people whose paths have been paved as far as who they are in the NBA. So they cannot be on their rookie contract. Last but not least, they would play at least 15 minutes per game for the Celtics. They are not gimmick players like a Boban. And now I use that term a little bit loosely. Boban is actually a quite quite a productive player, but he can't play 15 minutes a game uh, for any team in the league. He, he has basically averaged 10 minutes a game in his career in the league. So those are the rules. Not an all-star the last five years. Salary cap doesn't apply. Cannot be on their rookie contract. Would play at least 15 minutes a game for the Celtics. So without further ado... Okay, Judge. I want a little bit of a do. Oh no! <laughs> I have minutes of a do. I'm just I, I'm still angry by these rules. Um, what I will say, I'm just going to warn you guys and all of our listeners. Um, there is a certain amount of rule breaking that is just in my nature, and uh, that I will be applying to this game. But I think it will still be relevant. It's just hard for me to to say, oh yeah, I would love to bring this guy onto the team. Who there's just no way he's going to join the team either because. The team doesn't have the assets to trade for him or because he's going to want more money or because the cap just simply won't allow it because the guy makes $30 million a year. So, uh, but I, but I think I, I so I, I've tried to ground mine in more reality. I think it's caused a lot more work for me. Um, so that tends to be the case, but uh, just uh, we can fight over this as we go. All right. So Mr. Reality, would you like to start then? Sure. I will start with the most realistic person on my list, and that is Aaron Baines. No. I know we're all sad no. that he wasn't on the on the team this past year. There is still a question as to why he was traded. I know that there was an attempt to get under the salary. Wait, was it uh that yeah, to get under the salary cap, yeah. I think it was to, re- that to resign could. Horford. No, 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 no. It wasn't to resign Horford. What was it? We what had to, we had to get so we had to trade him to get max level contract space, which right. we ultimately didn't have to use because we ended up signing and trading Rozier. But we didn't know and we didn't were going to be able to do that. That's right. If we if we were not able to sign and trade Rozier to get Kemba, then we would have had to have traded Aaron Baines to sign Kemba. And I swear I heard Jackie McMillan say at some point that there was something about that like there was some other reason why he left and, and there were no further details to it, but I've, I still have this mystery in the back of my mind that there's something else going on that Baines was unhappy for some reason or something else uh, as to why like that, that played a role in this. But for this game, I want Aaron Baines back. 
He turns 34 in December. We know what he provides. He played even better with Phoenix than he did with the Celtics. Despite his his age, I think he's exactly what we are missing. He's willing to take less minutes. He, he, he can't actually play more than 20-ish minutes a game because he, he gets too tired and you see him huffing and puffing Viking, on Viking, the bench. Deep Viking breaths. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just like he's been giving everything he has <laughs> despite his phenomenal shape because we all know Tommy Heinsohn has admired. All of Australia. <laughs> admired his Adam. physique. Uh, yeah, that was the best Aaron Baines impression I've heard in in ever. Um, I mean, normally that, it's with it's just a visual; it's without sound, and that's what's ha- happening in my ears as I'm watching that. It's just his uncontrollable desire for oxygen. That's the audio our listeners are paying for. <laughs> Aaron Baines was the number one player on my list as well, and it's it's only because I still feel actual sadness about him not being a Celtic. You know, sometimes it comes out of my eyes. Sometimes it comes straight out of my chest like a Care Bear. But for the love of Celtics pride, like this is where Baines is supposed to be. It's a shamrock. We have a shamrock rainbow. (laughs) He's supposed to be here in Boston in a three-headed center rotation with Tyson Time Lord. This is where you belong, Aaron. Yeah, I Aaron Aaron Baines was on all three of our lists. That's three shamrock cares uh, rainbows for Aaron Baines coming from each of our chests. Um, Yeah, I I, and I think it speaks to the fact that just an elite defender um, could mat you could match him up against someone like an Embiid. It's it's one of the few holes that we we might have on our team as we've discussed ad infinitum at this point. Um, And he gave it gave his all out effort all the time. Um, just absolutely delightful personality on the team was a, a energy personality. Uh, Brad Stevens always referred to his positive presence in the locker room. So uh, three for three on Aaron Baines on our list. Let me add one more thing. It's a reasonable in reality situation that he could come back. So the Celtics are going to be right up against, I mean, we, we don't know. There's a lot about the cat that we don't know. But if we make reasonable assumptions about the collective bargaining agreement um, and who may or may not opt in, the Celtics are going to be really close to the tax, the hard cap. They are likely to just not have cap space. However, they will have, I can't remember if it's the, it's like a the mid-level exception for teams that are over the apron, but still under the hard cap, which is um, about 5 million a year. And that is what Baines has been making the last couple of years. I think given the assumption that the, the cap will go down and a limited limited cap space, I think that's the kind of deal that he's going to have available to him from different teams. So assuming that there isn't some extra thing that has made him want to leave, I do think that it's a reasonable thing that he could come back. And we do have to wait a year until we traded him, so that will be fine as well. All right. I've had enough of reality, and I know when I want a lack of reality – to turn to the other Matenko brother, Josh. So Josh, give me the next player on your list. Okay, the next player on my list is Dylan Brooks. Now, I don't know if, Mike, you're going to tell me he's... I'm breaking the rules because he's still on a rookie contract, um, but he has signed Whoa! an extension for $11 million. Josh is the first one to break a rule here, not me. I've got rookies I can talk about. I know. Well, like I had, I had Aaron Holiday on here. I had Jalen Brunson on here. These are guys all under rookie contracts, so... You know, Mike, I was going to complain in the beginning, but I'm going to wait and I'll do it now. <laughs> but Dylan Brooks, I mean, he's my favorite 
Jay Crowder rub off guy. Like the guy who Jay Crowder was a, a culture setter here and helped Marcus Smart to be who he is. And we need to give Jay Crowder the credit that he's due. And he's done the same thing with Dylan Brooks. Um, Brooks is a bulldog defender. He's a shot maker. He's got way more confidence than he should have, which allows him to not be afraid, you know, of even the biggest stars and going toe to toe with them. Um, and he's so tough that he never backs down from anybody. He's a really good defender. He's strong. Um, he's the Grizzlies glue guy. I mean, I, I just think that he'd be a good player here with us. Not that we need any other wings or have minutes for them, um, but you know, he's he's the second best scorer on a on a playoff team. Yeah, I'm not. So I I haven't watched a ton of Dylan Brooks. I mean, what you just described makes him sound like Marcus Smart, except my understanding is he's a much better offensive player, at least at his relative age, um, or at least a better, maybe not much better, but a better scorer than Marcus Smart uh, and not as good a defender as Marcus Smart. Correct. I don't see him. I don't. uh, I think what you said at the end is just right. I don't see that as a need for the Celtics at all. I I feel like we've got enough of those guys. Like, yeah, it's not a of... need. But this is a guy around the league that I've been monitoring and watching how he's developed, and he's he's really developed well. Um, and I think he's a, under the radar. I'm using this list to like mention under the radar guys that I've been monitoring. You know, I, Jalen Brunson and Aaron Holiday are, are big shot makers in college who I've liked. They fit that kind of profile of uh, you know being on the next Fred Van Vliet list um, as you know undersized guys or maybe less athletic guys who really know how to play and have proven it in college um, and are, are kind of underrated and I think are going to end up being, you know, longtime pros. Is this, would you call this the, the Georges Niang all-stars? Is that his no. name? <laughs> no. Yeah, that, that's his name. But no, this is, this is the Fred Van Vliet list of, you know, who's going to be the next unsung guy who, who surprises people, but who I knew was going to be as good as he is all along kind of a thing. Mike, who's next on your list? Next on my list, I'm going to go with uh, Marcus All. Similar, similar spirit to Aaron Baines. Uh, not as mobile as Aaron Baines is at this point in his career, uh, but a much better passer. Um, it can do much more operating out of the high post. I think you know it speaks to the same need that the Celtics have, which is basically a guy that can they can put in the post on defense against the an Embiid. I mean. Gasol is like the Embiid stopper. Um, so a guy they can put on Embiid, a guy they could put on a, a Jokic. Celtics really just don't have anyone that can do that. And they can put him out there without undermining their offensive system and efficiency. And Gasol is an elite passer, a elite high post player, um, can shoot the three well enough uh, to spread the floor if, if need be. So he, he would be you know, basically a, an option, an option two relative to Aaron Baines. He might even be realistic depending on what his next contract is, Adam. So that, that would make you happy as well. I know he's right under Aaron Baines on my list. I love me some Marky Marcus. he turns 36 next January, Josh, any concerns about his advancing age? Um, okay. Get ready. I'm, I'm going to go for a little bit here. So Marcus first of all, wait, wait, wait. can I pull the reins preemptively? <laughs> no, no, there's no turning back. Josh is just uh, He's heading soul. forward. <laughs> I got a Marcus. We've lost story control, Adam. We've lost control. <laughs> I'll tell you guys my Marcus soul story. But but first, I'll tell you he's going to be a better. If he comes to the Celtics, he would be a better fit than than even Baines, um, just because of his passing ability and facilitation skills. He's not going to lose that. 
Um, that is still something, especially including his shooting ability, that is still valuable among centers in the NBA. If you can pass and stretch the floor as a center, like it almost doesn't matter if you can't move, as we've seen from Jokic. Uh, but I've been wrong about Marcus Gasol bef- before. You know, I, when I used to work for NBADraft.net, I wrote a long article about him. Uh, I wrote his player profile. I was the first one on the site to write his player profile. And I interviewed him. Um, after watching him play in the Euro Cup All-Star game um, before he was drafted. And he, you know, like he is, he's a little bit overweight and he was really slow. And, you know, no one thought Pau Gasol's little brother was any good, to be honest. Um, but, you know, he, he's got the pedigree and he had size and he played pretty hard. Um, but, you know, he was, he, I saw him and I called him a second rounder. I was like, this guy's not a first-round draft pick. He just doesn't move well enough. Um, yeah, he's got some skills, but it, you know, he wasn't dominant offensively at that stage. He wasn't that good defensively. He didn't move well at all. Um, but you know, he, he 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 was solid. And so I was wrong about him. And you know, in the interview, he was a really good, funny dude. Like he had a good sense about him. Um, he was well spoken. And I feel like my history with Marcus Gasol started with me being wrong, so it's hard for me to, to you know, say whether his age is going to impact things. But I think he's someone that he is going to age well because he never needed his, you know, a, a different kind of athleticism than what he actually had. And I mean, dude won a Defensive Player of the Year award. He was a, he was a fatty, Josh. When you when you yeah. did that scouting report, he was far more overweight than he is now, and you're totally right about. And he was selected as the 48th overall yeah, exactly. pick. So you were say, right. He was, he was a second rounder. Yeah. Yep. And then his draft rights were immediately traded. Not immediately. They were traded uh, pretty soon after that with his older brother from the uh, Lakers to the Grizzlies. Yeah. Is that the only good thing Chris Wallace has ever done? <laughs> <laughs> No comment. <laughs> um, the other thing with Gasol is he's like a, by all accounts, a world class dude. Um, in the off seasons, he spent time supporting, I think, this uh, Italian organization that helps rescue Libyan refugees uh, trying to like cross the Mediterranean. Um, he's been very active in trying to respond to the the pandemic as it's affected his native Spain. Um, so. He he's just a, a super high caliber dude. He had uh, an amazing year last year, winning uh, the national championship in FIBA as well as uh, the the NBA championship with Toronto. So he'd bring he, unlike Kawhi, in my opinion, is a culture setter and, and would be would be a big addition. Though he's he's oh. had his run he's had his run ins with coaches as well. So is his age a concern at all, Josh? And then let's move on to the next player. No. No, because he's he's not going to be you know someone who's going to play huge minutes, but he will definitely play minutes and contribute in the playoffs and guard you know the bigger centers, which is the, you know the one thing that we don't have is someone to guard the bigger centers. Um, I don't think so. I think he'll actually because he's never he's never had athleticism. You know he'll be fine. He's done it on smarts and and perimeter skills, facilitation skills, and talent. All right, Adam. Let's keep it as rule bound as Aaron Baines is ground bound. Uh, give us your next one. Yep. So my next one is a free agent, just like Marcus soul coming from the Raptors, just like Marcus soul playing the same position as Marcus soul. It's Serge Ibaka. He has some more athleticism than Gasol. He's getting later in his career. So he's made a bunch of money in his career also, 
Um, and uh, But he's still able to play 15 to 20 minutes of really good basketball or more if needed with injuries and other things. And he provides shooting. He provides defense. He's still got some athleticism. Did you guys know that Serge Ibaka turns 31 in September? No way. 31. That is pretty insane. <laughs> he, he's been around for, I think, three decades. So that seems impossible. <laughs> Serge Ibaka is one of those guys who people around the league all know that he's lied about his age. So he's not 31. All right. So uh, the other thing about Ibaka is that given the amount of money he's made, given uh, what offers he's going to receive, I don't actually think he's going to get huge offers. I think he might be uh, willing to take that five million MLE as well. I, yeah, I'm not. If you're going to be rule bound, I'm not. I'm not sure he's going to get uh, an offer under the MLE. I did consider Serge Ibaka for my list, though. Um, not 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 so concerned with reality myself. He's, I, I'm not sure. I'm not convinced that he brings enough more than uh, Daniel Tice that it makes sense for the Celtics to add him. I think he's pretty duplicative with the skill set, frankly, that Tice was bringing for us. And Tice, I think, is a bit more mobile at this point in his career. Um, I don't think Serge can match up with the bigger centers, which is the area of need. And if we're not going to get a bigger body at the center position, then I would be inclined to get a different, a different type of role player that could help with second unit scoring a bit more um, or something along those lines. Isn't that the skill set that we want at the center position? And I, I actually think Ibaka can, is stronger and bigger than Tyson and can hold his own against some of the bigger players and still provide that skill set. Well, my next guy, I think, is a better version of what you're talking about, Adam. Bring it. Clint Capella. Now, obviously, the contracts wouldn't work because he's got a big one. Um, and, you know, maybe some around the league think that he. You know his contract is actually too burdensome, more burdensome than than we originally thought because of how the the Houston Rockets kind of discarded him. Despite what Adam said, contracts don't matter in this world. Okay, yeah. Uh, is Capella a role player? So that's that would be the question. I mean, he's been seen as a potential star in the past, but you know the way centers are being devalued right now, uh, you know, disrespectfully so, I think, you know, or over proportionally so. I think that you could easily argue that he's a role player. Um, I don't. I don't care to make that argument. I just think that he is what would happen if Daniel Tice and Robert Williams had like a gene baby. You know, like he's the offspring of of those two colliding. Like he, he's someone who uh, I think would fit really well with the Celtics. We need a rim runner. Um, we need someone who's really athletic. We need Robert Williams to be Clint Capella. But if he's not going to be, then we need Clint Capella. Just imagine how much easier it would be for Tatum and Brown to and Walker, like as they're driving, to have like a legitimate lob threat to be to always be able to be attacking the rim with the potential to throw the lob instead and just just chuck it up there. Like Harden got really good at that. You never knew whether he was shooting the floater or throwing the lob to Capella, and it was. I mean, that might have been the best pick and roll tandem in the entire league. And then the Rockets decided, you know what, we don't want to roll run pick and roll anymore we want to just space it out but i think isn't that informative the the rockets which is like probably one of the most data-driven management run teams in the league decided to move away from uh clint capella based on based on the reality that they thought they would get better value uh better relative value in the way that they played by not having a rim runner that wasn't spreading the floor and instead surrounding their elite um, talent with with just more floor spacing i think no you know, i think i think that of the two i would rather have a bach over capella personally well look from a basketball perspective i disagree with you 
it's but from a financial perspective, yeah, you, you don't want to be paying Clint Capella's contract to Clint Capella. You want to be paying that to, you know, a scoring wing. So, you know, and and obviously the Celtics are are you know have three low paid centers, and that seems to be their strategy, which I think is the correct strategy from a financial perspective. So, you know, this is a, in an alternate reality. If Clint Capella had a different contract, then yeah. Uh, and you'd hopefully get Ibaka for a, a small contract. And so maybe that's way more realistic. I'm not living in reality with Ad, this list. Adam, if you could sign either Capella or Ibaka for the MLE, which would you pick? Or for the, <laughs> for the, for the TPE, whatever it is. In, in, in this fantasy land or in reality? In this fantasy land. Uh, in fantasy land, I would definitely sign Capella. I think he adds a lot more to the team. He's younger. He, he's the issue here is that Capella is going to want more minutes than I think the team is going to want to give. He's going to want more money. And so signing actually Capella is, he's not going to fit in as well. Uh, you would have to trade or Tice or Robert Williams. Um, so it's going to cause more issues for the team than signing Ibaka would, assuming Ibaka is re- uh, happy to take a, a bench role. Yeah, Ibaka is a better fit with Robert Williams because then you know you can play Robert Williams if he's if he's really coming into his own, or you could sit him and play someone that you trust like Ibaka. Uh, um, but if you had Capella, you would trade Robert Williams, and you don't even mess with that tease anymore. Okay, who's next, Mike? So we've talked a lot about centers. Um, I'm going with a different position here. Uh, I'm going to go with Joe Harris from the Nets. Nice. Um, I think that what the Celtics really need is some reliable uh, <laughs> floor spacing and scoring from the bench. I, I can't. Re- I don't remember the exact numbers, but the Celtics' three-point shooting from its bench was putrid this season. Having someone like Joe Harris that could come in help uh you know you you package him with like our second unit um quote unquote second unit lead lead players like let's say it's Jalen and Kemba and then you have Joe Harris coming coming in around them um that's just going to give them so much space make our offense so much more versatile and allow us to get away with you know if we have to play someone like Grant Williams or Shemi uh for defensive purposes that that limits how many holes we have on the offensive side um, and gives a lot, keeps a lot of pressure on, on the second unit defense from the other team. So I would love to see someone like Joe Harris uh, on our, on our squad. I think it would be a perfect fit. Yes, yeah. Mike. I love Joe Harris. Uh, I think yeah. he played so well in the, uh, this past summer with the, the team USA and, and played well with our guys. He was the most consistent player from the beginning of that tournament to the end both in practices and in games um, and seemed to kind of come out of his shell a little bit more as not just a catch and shoot guy but someone who really was a good facilitator in that kind of a system with Popovich Um, and obviously he's a knockdown shooter I think that he's just come into his own he's got some defensive liabilities but I think he outperforms them on the offensive end and and in terms of his chemistry and the way he fits on the court with good ball movement and and just smart play. Joe Harris is awesome. He is a unrestricted free agent at the end of this year and he's on my list of underneath too rich for our blood. There's no way Joe Harris is signing a contract with us. It's just not going to happen as nice as it would be. But he spent the Olympics with a uh, or whatever FIBA with a, our whole roster. So maybe maybe they bonded in a way that money money can't replicate. <laughs> Yeah, sure. <laughs> this is a guy who's just coming off of his rookie contract and he's looking to make some bank now. And now's the time to do it because he's older too. He's like 26 or something, right? Right. 
in this fantasy world that we're living in with this list of who role players we'd want on the Celtics, we're not thinking about that stuff. You know, he, exactly. he and Joe Harris and Dylan Brooks would never actually be on the Celtics <sighs> roster because they don't get too frustrated out of hanging on. Massive side they, for me. Because they, uh, we have too many, we don't have minutes for the, for players this good. You know, our wing positions are, are such that we really only should be thinking if we're thinking about this list realistically for guys who are only going to play 15 minutes, you know, Romeo needs time, but we definitely have like an opportunity to, to sign somebody to take over the, the, the Shemi Ojale spot. You know, there's kind of three holes that I would try to fill with the draft and with a list like this is your, your backup center position, your backup point guard position instead of Wanamaker and kind of the backup three and D wing who doesn't need too many minutes, which you know, you have Romeo as kind of the smaller version and you need someone who could swing over to the four a little bit. So the next guy on my list is Daniel House and Tory Craig. They're kind of in the same category as bigger wings who can play if you need them to and be a part of the rotation for sure, but aren't going to demand that they play over, um, you know, any of the others or, or even expect to play over Jalen Browns and Jason Tatums and Gordon Haywards. So they would kind of fit in. Yeah, I don't. I, I don't get too excited. I, Daniel House is, has been really effective. Um, I just. I'm for me. I don't see the Celtics' main area of need is a guy that's three and D ish. I think we have enough guys that are more or less in that mold. Um, and I agree that there's opportunity to upgrade, but that wouldn't. If I were gonna pick roles that we need to fill, it would be bench scoring or our backup big. I don't. I don't even agree that much with the backup point guard spot because I think Marcus Smart needs to is, is our backup point guard, even though he's not discussed that way. Um, and then I think we've got you know Hayward and Tatum that can be primary ball handlers. So I just between those those three and Kemba, um, and you know we've got Wanamaker already. We've got Tremont Waters, you know, buried down in in Maine. I just think we've got enough depth that that's roster spot but we just don't have the bench scoring so i'm not i don't know i'm not too excited about daniel house or tory craig as an addition to the team you don't want to upgrade the shemi ojale spot not not in that way i would i i'm comfortable having like ojale and grant williams as as kind of our our deep spot and i would want to add more scoring uh to our bench daniel house is one of those players that i'm like yeah i've heard of him and he's supposedly decent to good but uh i'm not quite clear what he adds I'm not quite he's, clear how he's much a three he moves and D guy. He, he's he's bigger though. I, I'm with you, Josh. That three and D is something we should add to the team. Uh, so I disagree with you, Mike, on that. But um, I, I definitely want to upgrade the Ojale backup spot, and uh, someone will take that role. Yeah, sounds good to me. How much do you think he'll he'll need to make, Josh? Is he a free agent? What's the deal with him? What are the realistic oh, I haven't looked, reality? I haven't situation? looked at houses. I have not looked oh. at his contract status or anything. <laughs> oh, but he's he's someone who plays wasn't in the rules, Adam. <laughs> he's someone who plays a major role for the Houston Rockets, who are only looking for guys who are knockdown shooters and good defenders. Um, and at six right. seven, he's you know he's strong. He can finish around the rim as well. So. Yep. So he's locked in for the next two years at about three point eight million. So um, you'll have to propose a trade for him, like I'm going to do for my next player, who also doesn't quite fit the rules for you, Mike. Uh, but the guy that I want is Jarrett Allen from the center for the uh, Brooklyn Nets. He uh, has been coming off of the bench 
the backup center who should be starting because DeAndre Jordan is has to be starting and getting big minutes for that team, uh, given general manager Kyrie Irving. Um, so there is an argument to be made that he could be available. So I would like to offer um, a combination of, let's say, Robert Williams and uh, uh, either Semi Ojale or Vincent Poirier and a number one pick, or even the two late picks in the first round this year. Oh, that's giving up, that's giving up a lot. Well, listen, you could do oh, yeah. Poirier and look. So, so the Celtics fans, I'm just imagining the responses on on Celtics blog, right? Celtics fans are going to be like, Robert Williams is way too much to give up for Jared Allen one on one. I would give up Robert Williams and a number one pick uh, and uh, Shemi Ojale easy in a in a effing heartbeat uh, for for Jared Allen. I would even give up. Uh, the two late first round picks and Robert Williams for Jarrett Allen. I think he's that much better. His, his floor is that much better than Robert Williams. Um, I, the ceiling is an argument, but I think he brings more immediate need. I think he becomes our starting center immediately uh, moving Tice to the bench, which is probably what makes the most sense, but you could really play them um, similar minutes. And uh, I think his potential is huge. I, I, I really like him. Uh, but to appease the, the Celtics fan response, I would say you could do Poirier and Ojale and two number one picks, and that would probably make them feel happy. We, we don't have that many roster spots, so we got to get rid of some some players or picks. Adam, you're right. The, the Celtics homers aren't going to realize that you're going to have to give up that number of picks in order to yeah. get him, and that once you get him, he's possibly going to demand a big contract. So he's got... One year left at four million, and then he's got his qualifying offer after that. And you're yeah. Right. How is how is this up. realistic, Adam? Mister, I don't reality. think you're giving up too much for him. Yeah, you're also not going to be able to resign him once uh, the Hayward or not the Hayward the the Tatum and Brown extensions kick in. I, I have no good response. Right, but it but it's perfect in the sense that you. It's perfect in the sense that he's one of the better young centers in the NBA, who's in a situation that's going to blow up in their face at some point, and so you're projecting. This guy's going to be available, and he's you know better than people realize. It's I'm perfect. just I'm just happy that Adam has avoided reality for the selection of <laughs> Jared Allen. <laughs> um, yes, he's on his rookie scale contract, so it, it does not fit into the year rules either. Going go, correct. Uh, going on to 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 the next. I'm not sure if this guy fits into my rules. Um, it, it's it's a similar, if not a elevated, version of the the question on. Clint Capella about whether he's a role player, but I would pick uh, PJ Tucker um, from the the Rockets, who's basically like a a larger, enlarged version uh, and non ball handling version of Marcus Smart, just a gritty glue guy, do all defender, tough as nails, way stronger than his size would suggest, and able to knock down corner threes. I, he would be, I think, a perfect. Maybe not perfect, but a great addition to the team. I would love to see him in a Celtics jersey, which I've said before. Mike, what position are you playing PJ Tucker at on the Celtics? Yeah, exactly. He six would be five, he would be an undersized six, six, center. Five. He would be a, he would be a center. So that's why he's listed below Aaron Baines and Marcus All, who I'd prefer to have. But PJ Tucker would still become our best option for defending Joel Embiid. <laughs> no, <laughs> if way. we had him, if we had him, stop it. PJ Tucker cannot guard Joel Embiid. I didn't say he could guard him well. I'd say he, but he'd still be our best option if he. No, he's our, not. Who's who, who's better? And maybe Robert Williams. 
I would rather have Robert Williams or Daniel Tice. Or I guess Cantor. I Ruggles. keep forgetting we have Cantor. Or Cantor. The, all our guys are better already than P.J. Tucker at guarding that player. P.J. Tucker's an interesting one, though. Uh, coach Terry, Rodney Terry, who was my head coach at Fresno State, you know, he was with Rick Barnes at University of Texas, Coach Durant, but would talk about, you know, P.J. Tucker when he was at Texas. And he's always been kind of a guy that coaches love and that, you know, you never thought he'd really make the NBA. At 6'5", what position was he going to play? Um, and he just worked and worked and worked. He couldn't shoot and developed a jumper. And you know now he's this kind of indispensable player for the Houston Rockets. He's, he's their Marcus Smart. He's the glue guy, the, the heart and soul of their team. As much as James Harden is you know, the, the face of the team, he's not the heart and soul of the team. No. You, it's P.J. Tucker. To me, uh, the, the question on position is fair, but at the end of the day... If you have the players that just want to win more, that want to win the most, that carries a lot of weight. And Marcus Smart's in that category, and PJ Tucker's in that category. They just have the will, and that and that's the exact point I think, Josh, of what you were saying is when you have a guy that's not supposed to make it, and they just kind of grit and gut their way into not just a role in the league but a prominent role. It's a it. It speaks to their just kind of determination and competitive spirit, um, and you can't have too many guys like that. And I think PJ PJ Tucker has elite competitiveness. Yeah, I agree with that. I just don't know at his age. What is he? Thirty four, maybe even thirty six. Like he's really starting to get up there. Um, and and I think if you took him out of the system that they have in Houston, like he's perfect for them. But if you took him out of that system, I'm not sure how many years he'd have left in another system. You know, I think in that system, he, he, you know, we're talking about him still. But, yeah, for the Celtics, I'm not so sure. So, um, and unfortunately, P.J. Tucker has put his signature on a piece of paper that requires him to play for the Houston Rockets for $8 million next year unless Houston decides to trade him. So, it's who are you trading for him? That's the other issue. Uh, Josh, who's next on your list? My list has been exhausted, my friends. You're kidding. Who were your five? I had Aaron Baines, Dylan Brooks, Clint Capella, Daniel House, and I mean you can choose one between Tory Craig from the Nuggets, Aaron Holiday, or Jalen Brunson. You know, but those guys are on rookie contracts. So I, I guess I didn't have five. All right, so let me let me since you went last, Mike. Um, I obviously I've been you'll, you'll you've seen a trend that uh, I think the Celtics need a big man that can guard big players and also provide some, ideally, provide some, a little bit of athleticism, um, shoot from the outside, pass the ball a little bit. Um, I've got lots of players that fit parts of that on my list in the Aaron Baines, Serge Ibaka, Marcus mold. Lower down on that list are guys like Derek Favors, who he only turns 29 in July, but his injury history makes his, him His look... knees turn 65, though. <laughs> yeah, exactly, older. Um, so he's, a, he's an unrestricted free agent. He's made a ton of money. He could be signed for that 5 million. Jakob Podol is a uh, free agent uh, from the Spurs. He's looking to make more money, but I don't think he's going to get offers. He's got a more limited skill set. Uh, these are None of these are, are the player I'm about to, to mention. Too expensive on this list is another unrestricted free agent, Montrez Harrell, who I think is going to need more money than that, or he's just going to stay in LA because who wouldn't? Uh, not worth it on my list of big men are Tristan Thompson, Bismack Biombo. I think you could probably sign them for the minimum. So the guy that I want to talk about is DeMarcus Cousins. DeMarcus Cousins, Adam? 
Demarcus Cousins coming Trash. off of an injury, turning thirty in August, willing to take low money. I think that he is a guy that that uh, doesn't have to play thirty five minutes a night. I think uh, I love his skill set. He's a total competitor, and given he's the a fact total that we, competitor, he pouts. Absolutely. All he does is pout. What do yes, you mean? How is he a competitor when he's sitting there pouting the whole time? He just wants to win. Who was it? I, I was one of these documentaries I was watching recently. I, I want to say it was um, Van Gundy, not Stan. Uh, the other, the other Jeff, name? Uh, Jeff Van Gundy. Jeff Van Gundy. I think he was saying I could be wrong about that, but I, about who it was. But it was a, a coach in the Jeff Van Gundy mold was talking about Rashid Wallace, and he was saying like. The guy is a total competitor. He just is a sore loser, and and uh, like like the rest of us, basically, like look, we're all sore losers in the NBA. But that guy is a guy that you actually want on your team. He's a really good teammate, and uh, he's trying to win all the time. And his skill set is amazing. And I think, look, when Demarcus Cousins came into the league, I was saying this is not somebody that I want to draft. This is not somebody that you want on your team right now. But in a few years, after he's had a couple different stops in the NBA, I think, and and some age, I think he's going to mature to a point where he's not going to be as disruptive. And I think he is at that point now. And I think that given the fact that we don't have any other head cases on our team and we have strong leadership on our team, I think he's a good person to add. And it's realistic. Adam, you had a point when he was averaging 26 points per game. Then you would put up with his, his BS. At this point... He's just a powder at the end of your bench who can't move much anymore and thinks still thinks he's better than he is because he's really like not good enough to continue playing in the league, in my opinion. Um, you think he's done? Yeah, dude. This guy, he's done. He's, yeah. I don't think he's done, but I think he's one or two stops away, Adam, from being where he could be in, in the mold that you're talking about. I, I actually think Sheed's an interesting example because I distinctly remember feeling like the second Sheed joined our team while he had some moments, he also seemed to undermine like the level of effort and interest, certainly during the regular season. Like I felt like <laughs> everyone loved him and we also started playing much less hard. <laughs> and I felt like they were connected. Um, I, I would not, I would not invite, cousins uh personality into our team right now especially with so many young young up-and-coming stars on our on our team he's just not i don't i don't see why we would bring him in may but you know if we give it another two years maybe he'd have kind of like the zach randolph late career phase where he's not very mobile uh still a, a high level scorer uh buys into a team defense approach um has has a good attitude as part of a good setting a good culture um, but I would I would give him one or two teams to play on, adjusting to this run of injuries and kind of realizing what his new reality is in the NBA before throwing that into the Celtics. I'm disappointed in both of you. Disappointed. I I ride with Demarcus. You ride with him. I'm all I'm all about the reclamation project. I'm all about giving guys second chances. I'm all about like talented players after they've had wake up calls. You know, uh, having more perspective. I, you know, stars have gone through that process, you know, since the beginning of time. But the fact that you want to take a group of guys who were around a culture cancer last year, last two years, and that has now finally gotten rid of all of their cancers and just have an amazing group together, and you want to introduce this new experiment 
of a of a, a recent culture cancer himself and Demarcus Cousins, like it makes me question your uh, mental health right now. And and like, what are you okay, <laughs> Josh? We are all struggling right now with the Corona um, social distancing. I I haven't seen another person, another human being in person in a long time. Okay, so that leads me to to ride with Demarcus. And and um, it, look, it's a risk reward situation. If you sign up to a contract that is. Uh, not fully guaranteed, or that is low enough money that it's not not horrible to cut him. If it's not a long term contract, it allows um, you to to have a little more control and to to have an out if it's not working out. So, all right, I've got I've got one last one. I'm gonna. Yeah, it just, seems had, like we're getting to the end of the list. We're here. getting to the I've end. I've got of one list. more. Too. Oh, you've got one more as well. Okay. Yeah. Well, I've got. I'm gonna do my last one. I've got a couple of honorable mentions that I'm just gonna toss out that that didn't quite make the cut. Uh, one is Robert Covington. That's very much in the three and D mold, um, but but I didn't I didn't decide to include him here. Uh, <laughs> one is Davis Bertans, who was Davis. a hot topic of conversation at the trade deadline. Uh, he's an elite shooter. I'm too scared of his flimsiness on defense. I consider Tobias Harris mostly just to really agitate Adam because his contract oh is so otherworldly that oh even God. even I couldn't reconcile that for this fantasy. Before you move on, scenario. I just, <laughs> just I got to jump in. If you look at the highest paid players in the NBA and you go down the list looking at who has not been selected to an All Star team to fit your your fantasy criteria for this yep. game. Tobias Harris is the highest paid player that has not made an all-star yes, team. Yes, I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Well, actually I didn't know, but I, I could have I could have assumed <laughs> for this game. I could have assumed. Anyway, um but I, he would I mean positionally he's not a bad fit, you know, uh, he's he's kind of physically similar to Jason Tatum, a bit more filled out, obviously not as skilled or as high a ceiling, but not who I would pick. Uh the one I did pick um, again, fitting into this kind of mobile, versatile center big man spot is Rashawn Holmes, uh, currently on the Sacramento Kings. Once upon a time on on the 76ers and bef- uh, between the Sixers and the Kings was on the Suns. Um, he has always seemed to perform pretty well. He can shoot the outside shot a bit. He's a, he's a good shot blocker. Um, my understanding is he's not always in the right place on defense uh but but getting better he's kind of stabilized his role in the king's rotation after starting a bit on the outside earlier in the year um i I think he'd be a really nice compliment to our big man rotation if we could get him i don't get the fascination with rashawn holmes like he had a good year this past year but he's not amazing his skill set isn't isn't uh role players players. we're not looking for amazing no, I, I hear you. Go talk to Ryan Rosillo about Rashad Holmes. You know, we don't care about that here. He's not he's not that good, Mike. Uh, you know, yeah, he's got a little bit of junkyard dog. Weren't you clamoring for him earlier in the season? You know, no. when he was still being played. I'm going to go find the tape. Yeah, find the tape. Rashad Holmes has never been a big fan of me, and I've never really been a big fan of him either. <laughs> what did he, Rashad Holmes <laughs> do to you, Josh? <laughs> he, His he's scouting a guy report who, on Josh is ugly. It's it's not it's a it's a difficult read for me. <laughs> yeah, he, he's a backup, 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 and he's someone who like always thinks he deserves a little bit more. I, I've, I'm not so sure about his fit with the culture that we have here. He's 
Um, Better culture fit, re- DeMarcus Cousins or Rashawn Holmes. Yeah, it's like we're going in the wrong direction with these guys, I think. You know, he's not the, the, the smart backup that you want to put in the game to be in the right place at the right time and that you can trust. But he is going to play really hard and show some toughness and not back down from anybody. But I'd rather have that guy be Aaron Baines. Well, yeah, I would too. Uh, but uh, we already we already said that name. All right, Adam, can you can you bring us in the right direction? Can you can you round this out with a with an awe inspiring choice, or are we yeah, going to so, be left with a dud? <laughs> so over the last week, as the rules have shifted in different ways, and uh, and I've settled into accepting the fact that uh, I can't have a, a Jaron Jackson or a Wendell Carter because they're on their rookie scale contract, or a John Isaac, or that. Uh, somehow your rules, I think, allow for Steven Adams to be a pick for me. They do. Or there's, yeah, which is just insane. Guy makes 25 million. You got to trade for him. It's not going to happen. Um, or that like Bogdan Bogdanovich from Sacramento, who's an unrestricted free agent, but is is like in the Joe Harris category of needing way more money that we can give him, despite the fact that he'd be beautiful on this team. Or Spencer Dinwiddie, who I love. Who's got eleven and a half million on his contract with Brooklyn, and we would need to trade for him. And apparently, he's like in the inner circle with the the KD and and Kyrie Irving situation. That's not an option. Yes, you don't like my rule. We yeah, get it. Danilo Gallinari, <laughs> like maybe that would be a pick. And some people love him. I think he's injury prone, and I'm not a huge fan of his. But coming off this year, he's going to make way more money. He was the guy that it, I think is a great. I think you're going to be proud of me. Uh, because he is doesn't really he's not an all star recently I believe um, he's really good he's like way too good for what we could get here so he's an unrestricted free agent Paul Millsap no he's getting on in his career I think if you like PJ Tucker as a center Paul Millsap would look great as a small ball center he's made a ton of money um, he's he's gotten uh, far in the playoffs but never won and I think he's the kind of guy that at this point in, in his career would take less money to win. I'm running out of air because I'm excited about Paul Millsap on this team. Josh, why why is that your reaction? Because Denver is playing him less and less. You know, he's 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 going to come off the bench. Yeah, he's been a good glue guy veteran for Denver and they've been good, but he's not taking them over the top and if they're going to like if Denver is miraculously going to play at another level or add a player to reach another level, Paul Millsap's on his way out. He's not he's not a contributor to that much. So then all of a sudden now he's just a locker room guy um, who's too undersized. And, and since he's at the end of his career, he's not athletic anymore. So to have him play up a position to center, I just don't see it anymore for him. I think he's done. I think he's on his way out of the league in two years. Yeah. I don't think Paul Millsap has much left. He's just declining at a more rapid rate right now. Well, now's the time to sign the five mil MLE, come to the Celtics, play a reduced role, win that championship. Yeah, I like I like. I like Paul Millsap. Um, Do you think it's realistic? Mm, no, more so. I just don't think he's who we're going to target. I honestly, I think the Celtics are probably going to go pretty hard to try to get Baines back. Um, I, I think I think that's realistic if Baines opts out, which he might not. But no, I don't. I don't, I don't see the Celtics targeting Paul Millsap. But I, I, I see it being feasible. He's made a lot of money, and I do think it's it's quite possible that he'll be happy taking uh, an exception. I think he calls his buddy Al Horford, and Al Horford says, yeah, the Celtics are a place you want to go. Yeah, Al, Al Horford's like, it's way better than Philly. <laughs> then, but then he comes here, and and it's like, Brad Stevens is like, do I play Grant Williams, or do I play Paul Millsap? And maybe you're thinking, well, it's obvious. You play the guy who used to be an all-star. He's a vet. You know, He's going to rebound. 
but like Paul Millsap can't shoot. Um, Grant Williams is, is going to improve. Uh, not from three. Millsap, and, and, yes, he can. He can shoot from three. And I'm not. I'm not about to start Paul, crying because Paul Millsap's three point percentage this year was forty four percent. I'm not about Last to year start signing seven percent on how Josh, many threes you, you, a game. <laughs> Uh, I don't have the per games quite enough. My, while Mike looks that up, I'm not going to not sign really good players because I need to save a role for Grant Williams. Like I think Grant no, Williams is, it is a declining, aging player. He's two, not, two and a half threes per game. Josh, two and a half threes per game. It's enough. Shooting forty four percent. He's and good, I'm guessing dude. that's the only time he's ever shot over 40% in his career. That is accurate. He's a, 34, he's a 34% shooter over his career, but over the last three years combined, he's probably, I'm just doing it off the top of my head, high 30s, yeah, 37, 38 minimum. Okay, I don't trust his three-point shot. Okay. Boom. Wow, wow. And defensively, he can't move like, like he used to or like Grant Williams can. Like you're going to play a guy who's going to improve who's already you know, doing a solid job rather than the guy who's already been declining and going to decline quicker. Paul Millsap's a guy whose decline is going to be quicker than you realize. I'm, I'm rolling my eyes and shaking my head no. Okay, I feel like we've talked enough about Paul Millsap. <laughs> yeah, so let's, let's introduce a new segment to the podcast called Stories from Celtics History. And uh, hey. we're thinking of, of, of possibly ending each podcast with this. These are stories about the Celtics as a franchise, about executives, players, owners of the Celtics team, anybody affiliated with the Celtics in some way. These are really these are interesting or potentially unknown stories about these players. And the first one that I'd like to share for this podcast is a story about Clifford Ray. And let me just first ask, what do you guys know about Clifford Ray? Mike, let's start with you. When I say Clifford Ray, what do you think of related to the Celtics? Big man coach. Big man coach. Yep. He is, he was a, he's been a consultant and an assistant coach for many NBA teams. Uh, Kendrick Perkins uh, counts him as, as like the guy that taught him about big man work. He was a Celtics assistant coach from 2006 to 2010. He's worked with the likes of Dwight Howard. Josh, other thoughts on Clifford Ray? Clifford Ray used to be one of the coaches at the Robert Parrish D. Brown basketball camp at Babson College that you and I attended, Adam. <laughs> that is correct. Uh, I remember, we got his autograph. I remember, yeah, we met yeah him. I remember him coaching us and giving a speech and uh, running some drills. He seemed like one of the more engaged NBA player, a former NBA player, you know, to, to be at that camp as opposed to, you know, someone like Robert Parrish who was just kind of there to, to, to give high fives and, be tall. Um, and yeah, really good guy. Clifford Ray is a really good dude um, and, and has kind of been in and out of the Boston organization in the Boston area for a while and is one of the more respected big men coaches in the entire league and kind of fell into that stigma of like, you're a big man coach, you're not a head coach. You know, the whole Patrick Ewing thing where he's had trouble finding coaching gigs. And that's been a stigma that big men have had for a long time. Whereas you know, the point guard is always ready to coach at the end of their playing career. Um, so I think he's got a little bit, he's gotten a little bit of a raw deal in terms of his sustainability as a coach throughout the NBA. Clifford Ray has won a championship, two championships in the NBA once in 1974 uh, with the Golden, Golden State, State Warriors. And, and he played on those with late Robert 70s Parrish. Golden Exactly. Golden State teams with Robert Parrish. That's why I, I'm assuming that's why he was in the nineties at the, at Babson doing that camp, he's done other basketball camps in the summers with Robert Parrish. So I expect that they are tight 
Uh, he also won a championship with the Celtics in 08 as a coach for the team. But did you know that Clifford Ray saved the life of a dolphin? Go on. Oh, my God. <laughs> so <laughs> this, this is, is a this story. Is this story for today? This is, this is a story from Celtics history. This is about how uh, former Celtics assistant coach Clifford Ray saved a dolphin's life. So in, in uh, 1978, when he was playing for Golden State, uh, he was... That's a Miami Dolphin? Dolphin? Nope, it was not a Miami Dolphin. This is an actual uh, mammal, marine dolphin. So that was not, at... Not uh, Dan Marino at SeaWorld? Not, not Dan Marino, no. This is a dolphin that was living at Marine World, which was a... a uh, SeaWorld type place. <laughs> exactly. In, in Redwood City, California, this dolphin was named... It was either Dr. or Mr. Spock. So either it was either named after Spock from Star Trek or the doctor that wrote the books about how to raise children. Uh, and it's unclear which. And so what happened was Golden State was actually on, on the road playing games and Clifford Ray happened to have a, a knee injury. So he was home and these these um, they were doing some work at Marine World on the Dolphins, uh, um, the, the setup that they had and a a. Um, a screw came loose while they were doing work and the dolphin went and, and swallowed this screw and the dolphin was in danger of dying. They considered doing surgery. They pulled the dolphin out. They considered doing surgery on it. They had this like $10,000 instrument that they were going to go in and try and use to pull it out and, and nothing was working. And um, the, the, I think it was, it's a little bit unclear how they got connected to Clifford Ray, but it was like the head of, of this SeaWorld type place uh, was a big basketball fan and asked for Clifford Ray's assistance because they were like, what we need is someone with really long arms. <laughs> Clifford Ray's 6'9", and, and I don't know his wingspan, but he's got long arms. Um, so somebody with really long arms that with, you know, with like finger like dexterous things. So Clifford Ray's available. He comes in, they lube up his arm, they put gloves on him, they give him guidance. Clifford Ray puts his hand in, he goes through the dolphin's first stomach, gets to the second stomach, because dolphins have two stomachs, and Clifford Ray is like up to his his like uh his his head basically inside this dolphin. The dolphin is somehow calm, like realizes that Clifford Ray is trying to help him. And meanwhile, he's got three minutes to complete this task of pulling out this screw from the dolphin's second stomach uh, because the dolphin needs to breathe. And that's how long it can go without breathing. Uh, and Clifford Ray does it, pulls it out, saves this dolphin's life. And he reports that uh, as he, he, that, that the <laughs> Clifford Ray reports that this dolphin remembers him, that he would go back and see the dolphin and the dolphin would come up and say hello. <gasps> and it was like, what? they knew each other. This made big news in newspapers in 1978. He became, Clifford Ray said that this was his 15 minutes of fame. Not winning a championship, <laughs> not time in the NBA. This was his 15 minutes of fame. So that is how Clifford Ray saved a dolphin's life. So you're saying this was a situation, like a medical situation, like, like when you're on a plane and someone's like, is there a doctor on the plane? You know, like they're yes. like, is there someone with incredibly long arms? According to Wikipedia... Uh, Clifford Ray's arms measured at three feet, nine inches. So I'm assuming that's one arm, right? And which is different than yeah. wingspan, which where you Correct. build against the, right. So, yeah. his, so his wingspan would be like eight feet and six inches, 
which is is it? I mean, are they, is that a, a measurement from his shoulder down to the end of of each arm, and then you got to measure his back too? Like, I, I don't know how to compare that to. A yeah, wings, let's to not try. Span. Let's not try to calculate wingspan <laughs> based on a three foot arm span. Uh, Sorry, <laughs> quote from it would be seven feet six inches. I can't do math anyway. That would Josh. not factor in the back. But I to answer Josh's question, yes, this is like when they go, is there a doctor in the house? Clifford is there Ray a long-armed individual in the house? <laughs> yeah, Clifford Race actually said he felt like a doctor or a veterinarian in doing this task. He said that. So yes. look, I've worked on a farm. I'll let that. I'll pause. I'll say it again. I work on a farm <laughs> for. So I'm an for, expert for summer, in interactions and, with and, dolphins. No, and and sometimes when you're working with animals, you know, you need to like reach into their bodies to help them give birth and and like go on or to take, you know, to you have to like really, you know, put on some gloves and get up in there, right? And um, <laughs> just. <laughs> As Red Auerbach used to say, as a basketball coach, you need to be ready for anything. And <laughs> boom, this is a perfect example of, of Father Red. So the, the real question is, have the Celtics brought Clifford Ray in to one of their Zoom calls with the team to share this story amidst the pandemic, to inspire their team and ensure that they're ready for everything, anything? Because it seems like I'm, this is the perfect, the perfect anecdote to share right now. I'm sure he's available. There's plenty of resources to references to, to read up more about this newspaper articles and things like that. But I just want to mention SB Nation, our parent company, has a great YouTube video about this. So check that out. Yeah, I feel like in Celtics blog reading past, I've come across this story before or heard this once before and was just like, I'm not reading that. Like, I'm not, I don't need another <laughs> details of that. And, uh, but the details you've provided in the story, Adam, uh, uh, really shed a new light onto this. And for all the listeners out there, you know, if, if you can't handle all the brotherly bickering on this podcast and don't make it to the end, you're going to miss stories like this in future podcasts. So stay tuned to Celtics Pride. <laughs> Listen to the whole thing. Thanks for staying with us. We'll be back next week on Tuesday. Uh, thanks for listening, everyone. Rate, review, subscribe. Peace out.